thanks for listening to the Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Medical School. Thank you for tuning in to today's Voices of UMass Med podcast. We have two guests joining us to discuss new advances in pediatric and adult cancer research at UMass Medical School, plus importantly, the upcoming 21st annual Cancer Walk and Run, which is hosted by UMass Medical School and UMass Memorial Medical Center. I'd like to welcome Dr. Jonathan Gerber. Welcome. Thank you. He is the Eleanor Eustace Farrington Chair in Cancer Research, Chief of the Division of Hematology, Oncology in the Department of Medicine, and Medical Director of the Cancer Center here. And I'd also like to welcome Sheila Burke, a two-time cancer survivor and longtime participant in the UMass Cancer Walk. Welcome, Sheila. Thank you. So thank you both for being here. Dr. Gerber, I want to begin with you. You joined uh, UMass about a year ago. How's it going so far? Yeah, exactly. It's been, uh, last week was, was the one-year mark, and it's actually been a wonderful start so far. Um, a lot of exciting things, both internally and externally, going on. Um, I, I often say that the field as a whole is entering a, a very, very exciting new era, uh, and uh, we've seen literally an explosion of new therapies across the board in almost every type of cancer. Yes, well, I want to talk to you about that, because I think some people might have the perception that, you know, there are not a lot of new advances, but you're saying it's really getting to this turning point. And, and can you explain some of the major advances that make you say that? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I can probably speak best to uh, one of the diseases that I take care of, uh, the acute leukemias, that uh, after literally decades of inactivity in, in one disease, acute myeloid leukemia in particular, uh, we've seen in the last two years eight new drugs approved. Uh, and more on the horizon. Uh, so truly, previously either untreatable or, or very, very difficult to treat uh, cases are, are now uh, quite amenable to therapy. And even for very older or unfit patients, uh, we still have actually good treatment options. So was there one thing you can point to that led to you know, zero options versus eight options? It's interesting. I think as we understand um, that what was previously a, a wastebasket collection of, of really slightly different types of leukemia, uh, as we are able to now tease apart the different types, uh, we, we're actually finding that there are different susceptibilities in each one of them and actually able to drug uh, some of those targets selectively. And it's really allowed us to, as I said, to, to take previously untreatable or, or poorly treatable cancers and find really honestly well-tolerated therapies mm -hmm. that people can remain on for years with certainly a minimum of side effects versus the old therapies. We're not there yet, but we're certainly making good progress. We've also seen uh, uh, different ways over the, the last several years to harness the, the power of the immune system and, uh, and truly, truly exciting therapies on that horizon as well. So I think what you're sort of alluding to is immunotherapy, which is a term that we hear a lot and you know it's not really clear to the average person who's not an MD what that really means. Can you explain in layman's terms what immunotherapy is? Sure. You know, I, I often say that um, for a cancer to take root, uh, basically a cell made a mistake at some point when it was making copies of itself. And uh, in the case of the blood cancers, you make 500 billion new blood cells per day. Um, if a cell makes a mistake, which is inevitable, it's gonna happen. Um, those cells should actually recognize the mistake and fix it if it's a minor one. If it's uh, an irreparable type of a mistake, they should self-destruct. And if they don't, we rely on the immune system to be on constant surveillance, find those defective cells and destroy them. 
And ultimately, if none of those three things happen, the cells don't repair themselves, they don't self-destruct, and the immune system doesn't catch the mistake, cancer's kind of off to the races. And these new immunotherapies, uh, and the concept actually is quite old, but, the, but these new therapies and new ways to, to boost the immune system in terms of its ability to kill cancer really uh, give us a, a whole new world of therapies. And again, uh, different avenue promise where there was really none before. Uh, so lots and lots of reason for hope. These uh, um, therapies, um, one of them actually uh, won the, the 2018 Nobel Prize for Medicine or Physiology. Right, that's uh, right. And a class of drugs that are actually able to sort of uh, boost or, or reawaken the immune system and, and help cancers that were once invisible to it now be recognized. Uh, we've also seen likely what will be another Nobel Prize winning uh, finding was these CAR T cells or chimeric antigen receptor T cells, uh, which is a mouthful for basically saying uh, master immune cells in the body that were taken out, um, genetically re-engineered to identify a target on the cancer cells and then kill on the basis of that target. So if they they see that target on the surface of a cancer cell, they will eliminate that cell. Think about one of those CAR T cells can actually destroy about a thousand tumor cells. Wow. And lots of success in one subtype of leukemia, as well as uh, multiple subtypes of lymphoma. We're now starting to see those spread across the arena of cancer. And so you can think of a cancer type, there's probably somebody working on a CAR T cell against it now. I think that a lot of what you're speaking to really speaks to this idea that it used to be that cancer was sort of one thing. Correct. And now over the past couple decades, really we're learning that even within a single kind of cancer, there can be multiple variations. And yes. so the treatment has responded by becoming more and more personalized. That's exactly right. And it, it's interesting that we see sort of two themes arising. One is uh, types of therapies that will generically boost immune function or the like. Uh, those are the ones that were the Nobel Prize winning, uh, these therapies called checkpoint inhibitors. And then we see these more targeted therapies that actually hone in on, on the more personalized uh, types of cancer. And uh, really it's gonna probably be a combination of multiple things. These cells are very, very difficult to kill. Obviously this has not been an easy problem to solve over many, many decades, if not centuries. Um, but, uh, but I think really uh, lots of, of promise on the horizon and really probably within arm's reach at this point. So give us a sense of the cancer research that's happening here at the medical school right now. What are you excited about right at the moment? Uh, I think uh, a, lot of, a lot of truly exciting um, projects on the horizon now. So we are on the cusp of opening several first-in-human clinical trials and we're steering our division and our cancer program, Cancer Center as a whole, towards what we call early phase clinical research or clinical investigation. Um, basically, these are the uh, most promising newest agents. Uh, many of them, as I, as I just alluded to a second ago, will be the first in human use of these, mm. these drugs or other therapies, um, but uh, really ones that will, will try new ways to attack cancer, ones that we actually hope will prove curative with a lot less in the way of side effects and, and a lot of the traditional toxicities that we associate with chemotherapy or radiation or the like. Um, there are also, um, uh, in addition to that, we're bringing those CAR T cells here to UMass, so uh, we hope within the year and actually even a lot less uh, to open some of the first CAR T cell therapies and we're even in the midst of recruiting investigators that would make these. Um, so I think we will uh, soon have a lot of that ability on campus here. Uh, and then as we tilt more towards the lab side, uh, we're working on both identifying new targets against these cancers, uh, totally new therapies and additional ways to target these cancers. 
ways to figure out how to better delegate the therapies and, and basically decide who needs the more toxic therapies, who might already be cured and we maybe can stop, mm -hmm. um, and sort of if and when to escalate those therapies. Like constant adjustment, learning, bench to bedside learning and adjusting along the way. So your own personal work, as you said earlier, you specialize in, in leukemia and uh, have some of your own trials getting underway. Is that what you were talking about when you talk about the first in human? Actually, um, uh, one of those will indeed be, actually probably two of them will, will be uh, leukemia trials. Um, these are targeting unique markers on uh, leukemia cells and uh, both are ways to harness the immune system to better identify and, and attack those cancer cells and kill on the basis of unique targets on the cancer cell surface. Um, my own work also focuses on uh, these leukemia stem cells, what, what are basically the cells where the disease originated, and they also unfortunately happen to be the most resistant cells in the tumor. Mm. And so when we get patients into remission where we can't detect the disease, but perhaps haven't cured them yet, these leukemia stem cells often survive under the radar. And uh, we have developed ways to detect them with specialized assays, uh, ones that we're rolling out of the clinic soon and that we've imported into other clinical trials. Uh, also ways to now compare and contrast as we separate these leukemia stem cells from their normal counterparts and look for unique targets mm -hmm. uh, that we can exploit. What is it that sets them apart, essentially? Exactly. Just a simple compare and contrast. It's really unbelievable and all it takes really is one bad cell, as you said, staying in the body and then it can and, uh, lead to more troubles, obviously, or recurrence. So we talked a little bit at the beginning about the upcoming Cancer Walk and Run that's being held on campus in Worcester for the 21st time this September. It's September 22nd, a Sunday, and it provides critical support for the clinical trial program as well as to support some of this pediatric and adult cancer research that we've been talking about. So Dr. Gerber, as somebody who's relatively new to the community, we're here for last year's Cancer Walk. What does it mean to you to have that show of support? It's great, it's very inspiring. Uh, I was truly touched by the turnout and the, the support and engagement with the community. At the end of the day, this is all about people and it's about serving our patients better it's about connecting with them, letting them know that we're here for them and committed to, to the success in treating them. Um, it's, uh, it's also about the people on the other side, our staff and our, our doctors, our nurses, and, and, and the additional army of people that it takes to get this done. Yeah, for every one person diagnosed with cancer, it's really that it affects their entire family, Indeed. their immediate community. So, uh, so with that in mind, let's bring in Sheila Burke to the conversation now. As we mentioned, Sheila, um, you're a longtime participant in the Cancer Walk and Run. Are you a walker or a runner? Um, I'm a walker. Yep, I'm right yeah. there with you. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, you're also a two-time cancer survivor, so you've gotten that diagnosis twice. Yes. Um, two different kinds of cancer, years apart. Can you take us back, if you would, if you would be so gracious, to your first diagnosis? Because my understanding is the symptoms that you experienced came on very swiftly. Very quickly. Um, in 2012, I was diagnosed with um, stage three ovarian cancer. And um, it started on a Thursday. I was working out and felt a lump in my abdomen and was sure it must just be a hernia. And then I called my primary care the next day. The office was closed. And by the end of the weekend, I looked like I was nine months pregnant. That's how quickly it came on. So I uh, went to my primary care on Monday. They did a CAT scan on Monday. 
saw um, a GYN on Tuesday who then sent me to Dr. Zwizek on Wednesday, and I had my surgery two weeks later. Wow. Yeah. And, and is that unusual for the symptoms to come on so quickly? Each cancer is different, but many of these cancers have that explosive potential, and um, you know, some will literally smolder for years, or people will die with them, but not because of them, mm -hmm. um, and they may behave for decades and runs the gamut to others that can literally double within 24 hours and take someone's life within days to weeks. And so, Sheila, for you, it was surgery within two weeks, followed by chemotherapy? Chemotherapy, yeah, for um, about four months of chemotherapy. And then at the end of that, were you given a clean? I was given a clean bill of health at the end. And then in 2016, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And what was your treatment that time around? Um, I had a double mastectomy with reconstruction. And but no chemotherapy that No chemotherapy. Time. They caught it very early, which was a blessing. Yeah, yeah. So. And was this a uh, surprise? Was there a history of this in your family? Um, well, um, I did have um, bracket testing after I had the ovarian cancer, and I didn't think I had a very strong family history. Um, my mother's identical twin had uh, breast cancer, but other than that, um, my father's sister, I was always told, had kidney cancer, and I just found out two years ago that she actually did have ovarian cancer from a relative. And then um, my great-grandmother, the grandmother of the aunt with ovarian cancer, also had ovarian cancer. Fascinating. So, so. did you do some detective work once you had your own diagnoses? Um, well, you know, I had asked my mom, who was still alive at the time, and she had taken care of my aunt and said, no, she had kidney cancer. It was not ovarian cancer. So, But, you know, this was 40 years ago, and I don't know if it was an embarrassment that she didn't want to talk about what type of cancer she had, but... Maybe the so. answers weren't as clear, but also exactly. it wasn't as acceptable, yeah. maybe, or as comfortable yeah. for people to talk right. about uh, decades ago. So uh, even long before your diagnosis, personally, you were a member of Dr. Whalen's Surgeons Against Cancer team and the Cancer Walk. What sparked you to get involved with the Cancer Walk and Run in the first place? Do you remember? Um, it, I was working in the breast center, um, and, you know, you saw breast cancer patients come in all the time, and there was also um, other cancer patients um, that came in, but predominantly um, breast. And so um, I got involved with the Cancer Walk. In the beginning, the first couple of years, it was, you know, I didn't want to do fundraising. I just gave what it, they'd suggest, like $100 or whatever, and I'd give my $100, and that would be it. And um, then after I had cancer, I realized how important it is. So I really started fundraising, and then I took over as captain of the team. So. And how much has the team raised over the years you've been oh. involved? Um, last year, I believe we hit over 30000 Wow. That's tremendous. Yeah. And will you be walking again this September? Yes. Yep, and definitely. what is your fundraising goal this year? Um, I don't put a goal. Um, I did look, though, this morning. In the past seven years, I've raised over 11000 Wow. Just so. you personally yes. as part of yeah. the team. So, so Thank you. Welcome.
paint a picture for us, if you will, for people who haven't participated in the walk. You're here on a Sunday, you're far from alone. What is the feeling like? What's the energy like? Uh, the energy's wonderful. I mean, I want to say there's around 15,000 people, somewhere around that number. Um, when you start the walk off, they have cheerleaders. Um, it's a great family event. You know, there's all kinds of vendors with free food to start the walk off. Um, the energy is really great, and it's a great family event if people wanted to come with their kids. It's a lot of fun. Who else is on your team, and what does it mean for you to be a part of that team? Um, well, right now, um, we're very slow this year with registering people. It's myself, my husband, and another cancer survivor. But most of the surgeons will join at the last minute. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know weekend schedules fill up quickly, and so yes. you know, if yeah. you can't make a commitment, to sign up until the mm -hmm. last minute. I think you right. still can sign up. There's still plenty of time. Oh, yeah. You can sign up the day of the walk, but it's easier to do it before because if you sign up that day, you'll be in a very long line. So if you sign up online, it's the easiest. And of course, if you're not able to walk, you can always donate. Yes. That only takes just a yeah. minute to go online. Mm -hmm. So um, for both of you, I'd love to hear your pitch to people who are maybe thinking about this. Why should they participate? Um, well, research is so important so that more patients can be saved. Um, this year, we're walk our team is walking in memory of a team member that unfortunately just passed away. Um, she was on our team. She was a breast cancer survivor, and unfortunately, she um, passed away last month. So there's always someone, everyone knows someone with cancer. So if you want to walk and supportive for one of those people. It really is important. Sorry about the loss of your friend. Thank you. Dr. Gerber, it, the support really does make such a difference, both motivationally and also just in terms of resources. It's enormous. I, I think Sheila hit the nail on the head when um, you know, she alluded to the fact that the job isn't done. So despite all these promising advances and probably game-changing discoveries, both in our, in the recent um, past years and in the uh, in the years that are that are soon to come, we have a lot of heavy lifting yet to do, and um, we still uh, have far too many patients that we don't help, we aren't able to help, um, or even if we have limited success, that it's at the cost of great toxicity and and the like, and so we are desperately in need of better, safer, better tolerated therapies um, across the board, even in the diseases where we have good success rates. We're, we, when we think we do phenomenally well, we're usually looking at 80 or 90 percent success. Mm. And when you think about that, that still leaves a chunk of people uh, that are underserved or unserved altogether. Many of our other diseases, uh, it is woefully humbling. And so a, a lot of work yet remains. Um, the, uh, the cancer walk and fundraisers like this are pivotal and, and absolutely uh, critical to our success going forward. We stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. and. The advances that we enjoy now came out of research like this, uh, and you know, very optimistic that these funds will support the next world or next wave of advances. Um, you know, the funds that are raised from this go uh, towards supporting our clinical research operations, so bringing these trials, uh, these clinical trials, into the hands of patients and, and getting these therapies, these most promising, cutting-edge uh, types of treatments, directly into patients. 
Um, they, the therapy also goes partly towards uh, training, towards research uh, in, in the lab uh, and the like, and so promoting a whole new layer of discoveries uh, across the board, but uh, absolutely, absolutely critical to the success of the mission. And as you said, it's important for patients who unfortunately do get a cancer diagnosis to have innovative, creative, therapeutic options close to their home. Exactly. I mean, that really is part of the key of, of bringing it to UMass. Dr. Jonathan Gerber and Sheila Burke, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insights. Thank you. As a reminder, the 21st annual UMass Cancer Walk and Run is coming up in Worcester on Sunday, September 22nd. It is not too late to sign up or donate. You can do so at umassmed.edu forward slash cancer walk. Again, that's umassmed.edu forward slash cancer walk. Keep up to date with everything happening at UMass Medical School by following us on Facebook at UMass Med, on Twitter at UMass Medical, and on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School.